The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, we compare hybrids to EVs, carburetors to fuel injection, and everything in between. Different systems, different applications. Plus, our special guest, Lauren Fix, the car coach. That and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery right now with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks, to another episode of Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast with Bud Hughes and Tim DeBasquale, a poster to the stars. Bud's just a car nut. But, Tim, how you doing today, Matt? I'm fine. How are you, Bud? I'm doing great. I'm excited about our next guest. She's been on Bud's Garage many, many times, mm-hmm. and she would be Lauren Fix, the car coach. Uh, Lauren Hales from Western New York, and I never knew her when I lived back in Buffalo and Lancaster area. Got to know her later on as the car coach. Got an interesting story. Her and her husband own a company called Classic Tubing, which I've used the company many, many times. And our paths have crossed, and then lo and behold, you know, I find out that she's syndicated. She's worldwide. She's on television. She's on radio. She's got podcasts. She's She's, uh, blogging. very impressive list of credentials. Absolutely uh, impressive. Racing while pregnant, her own TV studio, uh, YouTube channel, um, North American Car and Truck of the Year. Judge, yeah. Judge, yeah. Right. I mean, holy cow, is there anything that Lauren can't do? Well, when it comes to cars, she is very knowledgeable and the first woman in the Society of Automotive Engineers. I yeah. mean, that is very impressive. Definitely has the creds, and we can call her a friend mm-hmm. because we uh, we communicate quite often. Uh, what she's going to be talking about today is a little bit of her past, you know, how she started in all this. You yep. know, a, a girl amongst men, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, man, she she does, she takes no guff, you know, right. at all. Uh, she is very opinionated about what's going on with electric vehicles. And Tim, you and I have done, you know, like it or not, we've been covering a lot of stuff about electric vehicles. We're knuckle draggers. Right. Uh, You've got 13 or 14 cars. Uh, Mm -hmm. Between us, we have two hybrids. Yeah. Everything else is gasoline powered. Exactly. But we are hybrid fans. Sure. And uh, because there's no range anxiety with the cars. Exactly. And thus far, both of our vehicles, in fact, our producer's vehicle, all three of us have escape hybrids, uh, mine being a plug-in, and yours, both of you guys have just straight hybrids. Straight hybrids, right. Uh, but we can't find any fault with them so far. It's the natural evolving of the uh, gasoline engine. Well, I, I liken it to when we had carburetors, mm-hmm. okay? You had downdraft carburetors, first of all, where the fuel tank had to be you know, yeah. ab- above the carburetors and, and all that. Then we went to the carburation that most of us grew up with, you know, mm-hmm. a fuel pump, pumping the fuel to the carburetor. Then we went from carburetors to electronic carburetors, where they were metering the fuel with small solenoids. Then we went from that to something that looked like a carburetor that we called a fuel injector, throttle body fuel injector. So it was still a wet manifold system putting the fuel in again the car the throttle body actually looked like a carburetor that had been gutted out 
because they were using the castings from carburetors originally. Mm -hmm. Then we went to, you know, fuel injection in various types, port injection, sequential injection, direct injection, and that's where we are nowadays is fuel injection. And during that process, we have increased the fuel mileage of vehicles incredibly from what they used to be back in the day when we were running around with quadrajets on oh, our car. Oh, sure. And, and with computer technology, it's like you've got a mechanic inside the engine tuning it for its maximum output and mileage moment by moment as you drive. And less emissions. Right. We got away from all the silliness. When I was working in the dealership, we had air pumps. We, had, we, could, have, we could have cars from three different year models. Or, I'm sorry, we could have cars from the same year model with three different emission systems on them lined up because they were built in different months. And it drove you crazy, uh-huh. you know? And, and uh, you're trying to figure out the air pump system and the diverter valves and all that stuff, and the one from this car won't fit that car, even though they're the exact same car, they were just built in different weeks. Right. So we were, we were throwing Band-Aids at these cars originally. So here we are with electric vehicles. I'm not sure why... We're with electric vehicles. Uh, we have had electric vehicles, for example, diesel locomotives for a long time. Sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. You got, a, you got an engine running, a power source that runs. It's running at a steady speed, and it's powering the train. Tremendous torque, tremendous right. power. Now we've kind of taken this, this stuff and downsized it to put it in a car. But there's so many other variables. And just let's run through some of the quagmire variables. Let's just talk about batteries. What, what batteries have we talked about in the course of a, two years of this electric vehicle oh, stuff? Lithium ion, uh, the, and of course the, the holy grail of battery technology, the, the solid state battery, which is yet to materialize in person yeah and what's happening is there's a lot of theoretical batteries out there that are looking for money mm-hmm. and they're being announced as that holy grail you're talking right about. as breakthroughs in technology and again i've become so skeptical every time i see a press release that has to do with the holy grail of uh, solid state battery technology i'm thinking they're just looking for more investor money to throw at it well we're not seeing the actual product yeah. We're, we're reading, Show me one. We're reading about the theory. Right, right. Because just in the vehicles that the three of us drive, or these, these hybrids that we have, they used to make uh, an Escape that was electric hybrid. Mm-hmm, right. The battery was the size of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. The battery now is the size of a briefcase. Yeah. So who's to say that by the time all these miracle batteries come to fruition, or the batteries that we have in our present Tesla, if you will, in five, six years, could be extinct. Oh, yeah. Wiped out completely. Yep. And we've got the battery factories, you know, scrambling to manufacture what in how many different variations. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, I'm not sure where it's all going. Uh, nobody knows. Well, we're going to have a discussion with Lauren because, first of all, she's a great lady. She's got a, a good story. She's got some opinions mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. And we're going to see if we can sort all of this stuff out. Okay, I can't wait to hear it. Okay. So, For the past few weeks, we've been talking about the transportation, automotive and transportation technology programs that are available in their technical college 
uh, here in Gainesville, Georgia. They have five campuses, and uh, a lot of this particular segment of instruction is at the main campus, which is in, uh, which is in Gainesville. You may not have a race car or an interest in marine engines or an interest in diesel stuff or truck driving or any of that, but at some point in your life, you're probably going to have a fender bender. And you're going to have to go to a shop and get it repaired properly so it's safe and it, you know, is usable uh, to drive and, you know, is back on the road looking the way you want it to look. Well, where do you find those guys? Where do you find those guys and where do they get trained? Well, one of the places they can get trained is at uh, Lanier Technical College in their automotive collision repair program. It is a very, very, very hands-on program. Uh, they can get a diploma and they can get a certificate as a certificate class one, which is a uh, class one technician or class two technician in automotive repairs. And we're talking for the body shop. So when you get involved in, in a body shop, you've got to be able to straighten frames, you've got to be able to do electrical stuff, you've got to be able to do AC stuff, because these components oftentimes get banged up in a collision. So there's more to it than just painting the car, but they get a broad spectrum of that, and it is very, very hands-on. The instructor is out there with them. Uh, if you go to LanierTech.edu and go to the collision program, they've got an excellent video and the students are talking about the program and some of the things they do in it, and you can see in the background what's actually going on. So give it, give it some consideration. You may not want to be a collision repair person, but if you want to find out you know, more about the training uh, that's available, and you may know somebody that's, that needs some training or uh, you know, might make a very good career for them, check it out at LanierTech.edu collision repair, or you can go to D. Anderson at LanierTech.edu. He is the instructor, and he will be happy to give you information on the collision, automotive collision repair program. Let's introduce Lauren Fix, the car coach. Lauren, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive. Hey, Lauren. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very exciting uh, to be on your podcast, and I'm honored to be the first Car, female car junkie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well it, you know, the, the first question I'm going to ask you then is, how did it start for you? How did you get into the car world? Um, well, let me see. It's a long, started a long time ago. I was about 10 years old, and I, you know, I used to play poker because my grandmother taught me how to play poker with the boys next door, and then we played for cars, nothing for money. Right. And uh, I used to play for matchbox cars. So I always thought they were kind of cool, you know, kind of box of them. We all had a shoebox full, you know, yeah. and they probably worth something wherever the heck they are these days. But um, so I thought cars were always kind of cool, especially in the Hot Wheels, because they were always kind of different. They were like wacky packs, you know, they were kind of funny, but fun. Yeah. So my father used to work in the garage. He worked for the big three automakers. He worked for Ford, GM, and Chrysler. He had in the garage a lot of cars that needed a lot of work. My mother's car is 70 Barracuda, 383 bright yellow with a black top and a black interior, bought it brand new. I remember he got it at the factory. It was not a Monday or Friday car back in the day. That meant oh, yeah. good. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. She had it for years and years. My dad worked at uh, Ford when he first got out of college, and he bought a Thunderbird. So he had a 55 Thunderbird, so he was a charter member of the Thunderbird Club Oh wow! when it came out. And that in the time was more of a sports car rather than what it became, which is how they wrecked the brand, but that's a whole other story. Um, and then... Um, as far as 
everything else. Let me see. Oh, my get putter hit a Corvette, 67 Corvette, 350, 350. Um, and that vehicle had, you know, springtime yellow, uh, see, white top, black interior. But all the cars knew. He never sold them because you get an employee discount. Yeah, right. You take that employee yeah. discount and you hold on to that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you get one car at the time. So he had one. And each job he would switch to, he would buy a car of that brand. And then we, he lost his job, and we ended up getting, um, you know, moved to Buffalo, where he ended up working in a military. My dad had a really interesting experience. He was he graduated Carnegie Mellon, but he was a nuclear engineer and a mechanical engineer and a professional engineer in three states. So oh, my goodness. He wasn't necessarily, like, the easiest person to talk to, but I'd go in the garage as a kid, you know, being an only daughter, and going out in the garage going, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm working on a clutch. What's a clutch? I don't know what clutch is, you know? As a kid, I'm 10 years old. He'd go, well, do you want to help? I'm like, sure. So that was our connection. So he, I would say, well, what does a clutch do? And he would stop, take out paper and pencils for the internet and all that, and he would draw what a clutch did, throw, show me throw out bearing and pressure plate, and I'm like, oh, I get that. It makes sense if you explain it to anyone on paper like that. You're like, I get it. So I started helping as a tool jockey, you know, bleeding brakes, doing all kinds of maintenance. He also had a, a wood boat. So there was always learning to go on every weekend. Yeah, on a wood boat, yeah. Weekends. Oh, my God. Yeah, but everything. You know, it wasn't one car, it was another. It was changing oil or whatever. So I worked with him for years, and then at 15 years old, I had, my father had started a company when I was about 11 called Stainless Steel Brakes. It's out of business at this time. I don't own it. That's probably why. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, but anyway, the... Um, I worked there and used to help break down calipers, and I made some pretty good money. Started at $2.30 an hour. It was minimum wage. Wow. Well, it was a different era, different things, and now we've got wicked inflation to make up the difference. But uh, So I saved all of my money, and I rode my bike up to a used car lot. Didn't really know what I was looking at, but I had a good feel for it, and I found a 76 Camaro, but I really wanted a Firebird because I was a huge Rockford file fan. Loved Tom Selleck. I thought it was like, <laughs> the, you know, that was, you know, I had to have that too, you know, if I could afford a Ferrari, all those kind of, you know, James Garner and Rockford Files was like, you know, the coolest show at the time. And I couldn't find a Firebird. The ones that were available were super expensive. So I bought a 76 Camaro with a 305 in it. It was cream color with a tan interior. It was my first car. Brought it home. Uh, probably spent more time waxing it and changing the oil and cleaning it up. Not that it needed it. it was I couldn't drive it. I had to have the guy drive it home. I wasn't even old enough to drive <laughs> so um, I turned, when I turned 16, I wanted, I had my permit. I rode my bike over to the DMV, which wasn't that far, but my mother didn't want me to go there anyhow. But I did, because I don't follow directions. And um, I, I, I got my permit, and I, no one wanted to teach me how to drive. So I hired, because I had saved my money, a local driving school. And you could take four or five classes and take the test. And I was very confident, because I knew cars. So I passed my test, first time out. Ten days after I turned 16, the license came in the mail, and I was in that car driving. So that's like February, March, probably somewhere in March. And a friend of mine in June, uh, June 28, 1981, I remember that, came to me and said, hey, listen, we're going to an autocross. Do you want to go? And I went, well, what's an autocross? It was just a bunch of pylons in a parking lot, and fastest car wins. I'm like, I'm in. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm like, I'm in. So uh, I went out there in that Camaro. It was such a stone. I was so disappointed. So a bunch of guys were there older than me, and they said, do you, want, do you know how to drive a manual? I'm like, yeah. So they let me drive their Mustang. It was a 79 Mustang Cobra with a 302. It just come back on the market from that 
74 to 78 Mustangs are icky Mustang tooth. Oh, yeah. And I drove it and I said, holy moly, this Camaro is gone. (laughs) Next day, put it up for sale. Last GM product and only GM product I ever owned personally. My father had a bunch of them, but, you know, I I became a Ford fanatic because of that. And uh, every Mustang I've had, we've had tons of winning and it it was unbelievable. Um, Dated a guy there for four years and during that time, but later on in 1981, it was like October. It was the end of the race season. And I had my 79 Mustang. It was doing pretty good. You know, it wasn't great. I was learning like everybody else. You know, you come out thinking you're going to kick butt, and then you realize it's not that good. i got to learn. Um, but it was a learning curve, and a lot of people helped, which is great. The SCCA is fabulous about helping people. The Sports Car Club of America. Sure. So, I, so they said, hey, listen, we need some help. We need people to work the pits at this. Uh, race that's in Nelson Ledges, Ohio. It's kind of a, it's a racer's track. It's not really like a big name track, but they were doing 24-hour races the next year, and they said, you have to get your time in, so come to this event called the Great Pumpkin, and it was Halloween weekend. I said, all right, I'll go, so I went, and I basically did timing and scoring. I got my license for that. I did some pit work, got my license for that. A lot of great people I still talk to today, which is kind of crazy, but the one guy driving the pace car is a local guy, and he says, you know, always get the girl in the passenger seat to scare her. You know, that was a different era then. Mm-hmm. This is in the early 80s. So I got in the car not knowing anything. And um, he says, okay, you ready? Buckle up. Here we go. And now it could have been any field behind me. It could have been Formula Fords, open wheel cars, closed wheel cars. And no, it was GT1 cars, Camaros, <sighs> Corvettes, <laughs> Mustangs, ground pounding cars. And I turned around and saw the field and I went, oh, I'm doing that. I had no idea what I was doing, but you don't start off doing that. You start off with Solo One, where you drive on a track like that, and you learn your lap times, and you figure out racing. So I took a bunch of schools. I went to a whole bunch of driving schools, and I have a photo of me. It's in a, a Vin Wiki post. If you've never heard of Vin Wiki, go to YouTube and look up Vin Wiki, V-I-N-W-I-K-I, because uh, actually another one just posted today. So one of them is I was Oprah's automotive expert, because I have a very long history in automotive these days. Uh, many years. Uh, I hate to look back that way. Uh, but I also did a story of racing while pregnant. So you have to look up both of those. He's got seven stories that I did for him. He's posting them a little at a time. But um, what was fun about this is that, you know, I got to meet some of the best people. And I'm still friends with them. And in 19, okay, we're going to 86 now. I'll do a little jump here. Um, I said, you know, I should run a driving school. I met my husband. Uh, at the time, and I told him when I met him, I said, listen, up front, I don't want to get married. I don't want kids. I'm not getting rid of my cars. You can hang out as long as you want. I'm totally in on this. And I had been hurt by enough guys that I had, and one guy actually broke up with me because I knew more about cars than he did. <laughs> so that was like, okay, you got the problem. He's still around, actually. I see him all the time at car, you know, cruise nights and car shows, and he always, everyone always gives him shit about, oh, you could have married or you screwed up. No, I would have <laughs> killed him by now. But that's a different story. But Anyway, uh, so my husband got in the car, and I taught him how to drive, and this guy was really good. I mean, he had an engineering background. He knew about restoring cars. And he got in his 66 Mustang, and he drove around the track. And again, this is a different era in the 86, and you could bring pretty much anything out. No roll cages, a driving school. And he was good. Understood what he was looking at. Understood a corner when I told him about, you know, driving the line the fastest way around the track. He understood, reacted right away, figured it out. I go, you know... You could be a pro racer. You you really got this down. And I guess I started a bad habit because 
he has raced professionally. I'll jump ahead on him. He's raced prototypes in Europe. Uh, we raced in the Trans Am Series. He's a championship winner for the Classic 24 at Daytona. So he's got the watch. He's won the Eichelpod uh, watch series. He's won the Trigon Cup. He's, he's won a ton of stuff. And he's, I'm a good teacher. And, and sadly for me, uh, he's faster. So after you have kids, it really messes you up. Um, your wiring, I would say. And that's why a lot of really great drivers from Danica Patrick to Cindy Lux, uh, even, um, Oh my good, Janet Guthrie, uh, Lynn St. James, they don't have kids because they know when you do, it messes up your wiring. You don't think the same way. The first kid, not as much. The second one, much more. Well, Danica doesn't have kids either, but she might now that she's retired. But I don't know how old she is specifically, but, but the whole idea is that, you know, the first kid was easy to recover from and, and still be able to focus on driving fast. By the time the second one rolled around, it really messes you up. So, I mean, you just, you don't, you think you're going fast, and you come in and go, yeah, that was a fast lap. And you're like, no, that was a lot slower than even last year. Like, how is that? <laughs> you know? But, but it is. You know, it just it is what it is. So I'm happy to have my children, so all is good. And I lost on two of three of those bets with my husband when I met him. We've been married 33 years. We have two children. Our daughter's name is Shelby, after the cars. And our son is Paul Six the Third. Who, and he races go-karts and cars. She raced one year in karts. She just didn't, she didn't like the hitting part of it. <laughs> so there's a lot of impact in kid karts, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And she married a guy who's into Porsche, so she's doing okay. Yeah. So, and she's pregnant. So uh, let's hope she names her daughter like Senna or something cool. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that <laughs> did. They won't tell me. But anyway, um, as far as the, uh, my, my career, racing was one path. But I, did, I knew I wouldn't be professional. I was offered many opportunities, including with Willie T. Ribs, at one point in the 80s to, um, to, to test to see if I was good enough to be his co-driver. So I thought, hey, cool, a black guy and a woman, that would be like a really cool team. But my father told me something that really stuck with me. He said, listen, if you're not fast enough and you get out there in the track and they give you that ride, you will be the fool. You'll be the one to blame. And he was right. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that. And I didn't take the test to drive because I knew I was really good, but I didn't think I would be good enough, you know, in a situation like that. I didn't have enough experience in those super fast cars at the time. I do now because I drive a 900 horsepower Jaguar, but, uh, but I've raced all over the world and it's been really exciting. I had an FIA license at one point and all of that led to me being a really great instructor. So I ran a driving school from 1986 to 2001, right after 9-11, uh, we just, just said it just wasn't, wasn't a good fit. Um, and um, we sold it because we didn't know what people were doing. But I met a lot of great people. Some are racing professionals. Some are racing at Le Mans. Some were racing at the Daytona Class 24 with us this weekend. This weekend. Some, you know, I really created a lot of monsters. I didn't even realize that at the time. But we, we taught not just how to drive fast in the truck with whatever you had, but we also did practice race starts because at some point – you will be on the pole racing, yep. whether it be a regional, a national, a professional, whatever it might be. And then you got to know how to react. So we taught people how to drive. We did green flag start. And there's a lot of adrenaline going on, a lot of testosterone. So you have, as a woman, it didn't phase me at all because I'll always run you to the wall and see who's got the bigger cojones. But in my case, um, I did it because I wanted people to understand what to do. So when the green flag drops, you control the field when you're on the pole. 
So we taught people that, and then they'd go around walking through and, and then they'd switch positions. The person who was first would be last. The person who was second goes first, and everyone got a chance in this very small group of like 10 cars would get a chance to see what it's like to do a practice race start. They loved it. And I, know, I don't think anyone does that now. There is nothing more scarier than your first time on a pole going, oh, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Oh, we got you. So that's kind of how this all started. Uh, that led to a lot of other racing and, and schools and Paul going professional at 2000. Um, he actually beat the field by 16 seconds. And the guy running the race series, I walk in the sun, came up to us and said, you know, we want you to slow down. We don't want this much of a gap between first and the rest of the field. And I said, do you want us to cross the field all holding hands and in kumbaya? Because that's not <laughs> racing. I've never been told to slow down. Yeah, so, really. <laughs> unbelievable, yeah. SVRA is great. Sports Car Vintage Racing Association and HSR. Yep. Great places to run old race cars. They pretty much will take anything. If you've got a car that's like, you know, three or four years old, it no longer has a series, they, they'll take it. And they'll find a spot for you. An older Porsche, maybe it raced in Porsche Cup. You've no place to go. You go there. I mean, it really has a great purpose. I still run in vintage uh, with my race car. It's a 2000 Jaguar XKRF, um, and it's got about uh, 850 horsepower, so it's no slouch. No, so it's hardly. a real steep learning curve because when you so if you put you in someone who's used to driving fast into something slow, you become really fast. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so well, I'm you... thinking about selling it, maybe moving into a Porsche just to see how that goes, just for fun. Well, you're talking about your husband's uh, engineering background. How about your engineering background? Well, my, my, I'm very interesting, diverse background. I went to University of Buffalo to be an engineer, and I started the classes, and my thoughts were like, you don't want to be an engineer. You're going to work in a cubicle, working for some jerk who's going to give you a tough time. But he told me one thing that I never forgot, and I don't remember when he told me in my life, but he said, you know, the first, the smartest thing you can do is to be an M&M when it comes to working in the auto industry. And I go, I don't know what you mean. He goes, you can be hard on the outside. Don't let people push you around. But on the inside, you can be as soft as you want. Never let them see you cry. You're going to get upset, go out to your car, go someplace where no one can hear or see you. And that was great advice because if they think they got you broken down, they will weaken you. Mm -hmm. It's like taking the king off the castle. And I've had many, at another angle of of my crazy life, many of times that people have attacked me. They've lost, but... I, I tell you, it's you got to fight. You got to fight. Um, but it also doesn't mean that oh, I'm offended. You've hurt my feelings. Listen, I can tell dirty jokes to make any guy blush. Um, of course, that's not politically correct anymore. But uh, um, yeah. but whatever, you know. It's like, people got to you know not be so so soft. And I, I think that's the problem is the up and coming kids. Many of them are very soft. They're um, you know they let something a situation happened that affects them and then they hurt themselves along the way um so i've got different ways of handling things i mean i've had people say uh, jumping ahead a little bit i was past president of the north american car and truck of the year and they accused me of something i didn't do after they were a big supporter of women running the place and they did that because they wanted themselves to be the leaders basically they wanted me there for a moment so that they could then run the show and i told them i said i'm not folding like a lawn chair and I told him, I said, you want to play this game? Keep pushing it, because I also work for Inside Edition. I said, I'll bring it to them, and we'll, we'll blow this thing out. And they go, is that an idle threat? I go, there's no idle involved. It's a threat. And they backed right down, because they knew I wasn't playing. So, you know, you have to stay in your ground. You don't have to make a big scene, but you do have to stay in your ground. And, 
and it's different for women in this business because um, backing up just a little bit, my dad had a breaker manufacturing company. I became the national sales manager. I was also developer and designer of the first drum to disc brake conversion kit. So if you had drum brakes on your Mustang, Camaro, whatever it was, you wanted to put on disc brakes, I developed the first kit. Yes, I was in high school, believe it or not. And I did all the blueprints. I did it all myself because my dad said, do it. Because if you can do it, do it. I, okay. So I figured it out. And he checked it all as an engineer. He said, it's correct. So I drew the blueprints, he signed them, and I sent them into the Society of Automotive Engineers. At the time, you had to prove your work. It wasn't just, I'll take your money, which a lot of clubs are. And I proved my work, and they accepted me, but they never asked for my degree because I didn't have one. Not even a high school degree at that time. So uh -huh. my father told me if I could sell 1,000 of these kits, he'd give me $1,000. Wow. 1000 bucks to a kid in 1980, yeah. that's a lot of money even today. So I sold well over 1,000 kits. Um, I got the money. Of course, I didn't get extra for selling over, but the deal was a deal. Um, How did you market them? I, I learned my lesson. Uh, I phone calls. I'd call every single Mustang dealer. I started with Mustang. I called Virginia okay. Mustang, Time Mustangs, Eliminator Business, National Parts Depot. You're one. I called all of any Mustang. Hey, you got customers asking for disc brakes? Yeah, there's nothing like that. I got the kit. You want the kit? I can send it to you. Boom, sir. And I bought every single leftover Kelsey Hayes part that was available in the warehouses. They all knew me, and if they came across anything, pallet loads showed up. My father's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I go, buckle up. So here it comes. <laughs> so, I mean, I had orders lined up before I even got the parts arrived. So you've got to be very much about looking ahead, you know. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but, but this was uh, way before the Internet or anything, so you really had to beat, beat the pavement. There was nothing. It was Hemmings Motor News. That was it. Yeah. So I put ads in Hemmings, but the most part, I'm a big fan of guerrilla marketing. You got to dial for dollars. Mm -hmm. So as things started to grow in that business, a lot of interesting things happened. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I actually need to talk to today called Craig Singhouse. He was a producer on the show Motor Week. A really great guy. Just a, we became really good friends. And John Davis, who's the host, um, and that's another story in itself there. But um, so Craig said to me, um, hey, you know what? You should do dealer training. I go, what's dealer training? I'm working for my father. I'm making pretty good money. You know, I graduated high school. I went to college locally so that I could continue working. So I took day school, night school, summer school to get a four-year degree done in three years. So I said, get her done. I could probably have taught the teachers something because they didn't know anything other than what was in the book. And I was, I had experience already, but I wanted the piece of paper on the wall, like a lot of people do. Um, would I do that again? I don't know if that even makes sense because I don't know, things have changed a lot. But as far as what I learned, uh, I was able to utilize my, my life experiences, and I did dealer training. So dealers would come in, and the media would come in, and they would drive different cars, and then we would go collect the pylons. And after collecting pylons, I told the person running the business, I said, do you realize that I have a marketing degree, engineering background, and an economics minor, and I'm chasing pylons at 200 bucks a day? And she's like, I didn't know that. She goes, next time there's a marketing breakout, you're going to do it. Well, I had a sales background from working for my dad, and I could sell snow to the Eskimos. So they had me up there, and I did a whole thing with Uteroil run flaps. And I did a whole presentation, including drilling a hole in the tire, watching it seal. If you remember back in the David Horowitz days, remember? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I did one of those things, and I, I thought, this is a great idea. Either it works or it doesn't, right? So I tested it at one at work, and they thought that was brilliant. They loved it. So they hired me to do marketing, made more money. And then I started proving myself. And so in 1999, 
they had the Cougar come out for Mercury, and they said, we want you to be a lead facilitator. And that paid really big money. And it was gone 10 weeks at a time. So I'd left in 96 working for my dad. Couldn't take it anymore because basically he wouldn't let me run the joint, which is how it failed. Uh, he gave it to another family member who had zero business experience. His idea was when you make money, you buy a new car. When you make money, you buy a new house. You bonus yourself money rather than what you should be doing is taking that money, putting it back into your business, putting it back into your people, putting it back into to advertising, promotion, whatever. And unfortunately, that was the demise of the company. Uh, finally closed, I think, in 2018. But um, someone has picked up some of the components and selling it now. But, but in the meantime, my husband and I had started our business in 1989. So a lot of, lot of things going on simultaneously here. So in 1989, we created a tubing business uh, because my husband was working for my father for one year and that didn't last long in 1988. And he was bending brake lines, fuel lines, transmission lines for Corvettes, but only early Corvettes, like 65, 67. So he said, you know, there's other cars out there we could do. I'm getting calls for guys with Volvos and everything. And he's like, nah, nah, I don't want to do that. That'll never work. So in at the end of 88, my husband said, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do this full time. And my father said, you'll be back in five months begging for your job back. Yeah, no, we're still in business. We're bigger than they ever were. Uh, we're very successful. So I used my sales and his engineering background and my engineering background, and we built Classic Tube. So we make all the prevent brake fuel transmission lines. We do stuff for the Postal Service, for FedEx, UPS. We do government work. We, we, we have really – actually, we're doubling the size of the building now. So, um, so I guess we're doing okay. I've used your stuff a lot okay. on cars that I restore. It's amazing. You get it out oh, of the box. It's you. got all the curly cues and everything in it. And your guy that runs the shop is so helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, you call him up, and, and he, you know, I, I had a I had a car that somebody had monkeyed with the radiator and put different fittings on it. I took a picture of the mm-hmm. fittings. He said, "Hey, we can put these on the line for you, so you don't have to, you know, recreate or buy a new radiator and all that stuff." And you know, it's it's just good to talk to somebody that you know has actually got their hands on the product and and knows what you're talking about. I'd be about. a lot of long-term employees, really. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that uh, we've been in business 33 years now. Mm-hmm. 30 coming up on 34 years, and, uh, and the key to, to us has always been quality. Made in the USA. Nothing comes overseas. So when COVID hit, I was like, oh man, I'm back in the office working because I'm doing television work as a full-time job and everything and uh, media and analysis so everything shut down so i was there helping with sales and we called every single customer and they were shocked we were open because we make medical tubing which saved us so that was a good being in new york state but uh so it was a it's been surprisingly a good year after all that um but it's, what's interesting about all this is I started doing dealer training, and during 9-11, I was in Jersey City, and I'm like, this is getting to be a lot. My kids are getting older. All I'm doing is running from city. To, you know, you get off on the wrong floor. You put the key in the wrong door, and you're like, ah, oh, that was yesterday's hotel. And 10 cities, 10 days is a lot. Um, in the middle of that, uh, I got a phone call. Uh, it was in 90, let me see, 1996, I think it was. Maybe it was, maybe it was 92, from Harpo Productions, which is Oprah. And they were looking to have an expert come on to talk about driving in the snow, winter prep, uh, child safety seats, leaving dogs in the car, because she had a bunch of dogs. I don't know what she's got now, but um, so I did it, and I got there, and they would not, and the story's on Ben Wiki, but 
Uh, they got me on the show. This is a real shortcut version. If you want the longer version, check out VinWiki. It's on YouTube. Um, and it was um, it was a really interesting experience because I've always had this rule about being nice to everyone because you never know who they are and where they're going. Right. And the girl in charge of the green room ended up leaving the green room, and she ended up working for uh, MSNBC. She worked for CNN. She worked for Living It Up with Allie and Jack. Then she worked with Paula Zahn. Everywhere she goes, she calls me to be her automotive expert. So I got a ton of extra experience off of that. That was like a lot of stuff. So I even got my SAG card because she got me on a SAG show. Right. Um, yeah. So I had a good time meeting people. I love people because you never know you never know who they are, what they're about. Everyone's got a cool story. Everybody does. Um, and so it just turned out to be um, a great experience that led to so much more. So today, after 9-11, I quit, obviously. I finished my tour, and that was it. And uh, the television has gotten huge. So besides Oprah's Automotive Expert, I was on your Live Your Best Life tour for uh, three separate seasons. Um, I've been on the show multiple times until it went down. But I've been on Fox & Friends since it started, Fox Business Channel since it started, CNN International. Um, There used to be CNN FM. That was a long time ago. Um, That's gone, too. CNBC, I worked for them for a while. Um, I worked for the DIY network. I did four years for them. So I've done a lot of stuff, the cable news, YNN, which is now Spectrum. So it, it's just, you never know what, I've got three books out. I never know where you're going. I mean, you graduate high school and you go, okay, I'm going to do this, whatever it is, whatever your heart and soul is at the time. And then you find yourself, you know, much later in life going, how the heck did I end up here? And it's kind of one of those things that was like, wow, that I didn't, didn't realize it was, you know, it was going to be uh, where I am. So today, uh, I now have my own television studio. We uh, produce uh, satellite media tours. And that's what I even asked you before this podcast, is, are you doing a video to go with it? Because I can do a Zoom from here. I have a full, legit uplink studio. So anytime you're watching TV and you see, pick your news channel and you're watching on the left is your anchor, and on the right is a guest, and it says Buffalo, New York, that's my studio. So I built the studio because I kind of, it was a trap, because the local network was using it, and then they put a kid in charge who was having a hearing issue, and the volume was off, wasn't matching the, the video, and it was for a national news hit, and he was talking really loud, and they were getting mad, and so basically they got blacklisted, and they ended up shutting down their studio, and I'm like, now I'm driving to Rochester, New York, which is an hour and a half each way, which kind of takes up your whole day, plus being there in our early prep work. I got a speeding ticket one day. I go, I got to find a better solution. So the guys in Rochester said, build your own studio. And I'm like, okay. There you go. And I did. And that's, so that's how, I mean, so a lot of weird things have happened. Um, I, I do a lot of work with a co-host out of Chicago named Paul Bryan. He used to have a radio show on WLF and WGN. Um, but... All of this led to an opportunity to be on the North American Car and Truck of the Year jury, which I've been on for quite a few years. So the first opportunity to run for the board position I did as secretary treasurer, I didn't run for the top position. I wanted to learn what the heck they were doing. And that's something anyone can do. If you want, if you aspire to be a part of a group or to even run for office, whatever it is, you don't come out and say, I want to be the president because you have no experience. I mean, there are a few exceptions. I know Trump did that, but for the most part, most of us don't have experience, so I didn't want to do that. So I figured I'll start as secretary treasurer 
and the next time I, I ran for election, I ran for president, and I won in a landslide. But they knew what I could do, and I made promises that I knew I could keep. And um, that was good. I did that for four years, and now I'm on the World Card of the Year jury. So I'll be drive, going out to L.A. for the, the final drive, which we get to drive all kinds of cool cars, and then we'll announce the winners in New York. Um, but it's been uh, – you never know where – the next turn is, you know what I mean? You think I've won a ton of awards. I'm a 40 under 40 winner. And again, all these things are like, I am, you know, you're a women in business winner. Okay. That's cool. You know, I've won woman of the year for SEMA, uh, but you know, it's one of these things. You don't go for the awards. You go because you can help others. You learn a lot and you can share it with others. And my whole thing is the car coach, which is my sort of acronym. My name is, we have car coach reports, which is my outlet is I believe you should have car smarts. Knowledge is power. So you'll see that every Friday I post something, and some people say it's political, but it's not. What I'm really looking at is educating people. Why are gas prices high? What's going on with the rail strike? How does that impact the auto industry? Uh, you know, and, and things along catalytic converter thefts. What's the deal? Yeah. Why are people doing it? What do I do to protect myself? Remember, the average person is keeping a car 15 to 20 years now. Cars are very hard to get. Again, why is there a chip shortage? When is this going to change? All these things I cover, including like making good decisions on used cars and so forth. But the goal is, like I said, knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have, the better decisions you'll make, and you'll make better use of your money. Well, speaking of the whys, which brings us to why is this huge push for electric vehicles? No, now, see, now you're down my, my favorite subject matter now we're into the education side (laughs) yeah yeah well let's let's go to the beginning here i know that they've been working on electric cars believe it or not since the early 1900s carl benson's first vehicle was a battery powered vehicle sure biggest problem was range and heat those are two huge factors because you're talking about a lot of friction friction is heat to give you an idea if you're not really aware of that rub your two hands together they get warm that's friction it's called frictional heat so I always try to explain things so everyone understands, and I don't dumb it down, but I also don't make you feel stupid because I want you to be smart. I want you to be smarter, and I want you to be able to share that knowledge with somebody else. So if you look at the push for electric cars, it's not because we're running out of fossil fuels. And I will tell you for 100% fact, you can look it up if you don't believe me, and this really infuriates me, they you, we're going to get rid of all fossil fuels. Never going to happen. Never, ever, 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 ever. Why? because fossil fuels are in everything. And I'll tell you a quick, interesting story. Back in the day of the Rockefellers, you know, the turn of the century, everyone's making big money. The, there's a lot of medical schools with names on them. I'll, just because I'm saying Rockefeller or Carnegie, you'll see their names there, right? We know they made money on railroads and they made money in oil, right? So how do I sell more oil? They would say to themselves, we're using X amount for factories and for cars. We need to sell more they found a way to put it into pharmaceuticals. So every pharmaceutical that you see has fossil fuels in it. So whatever pill you're taking, whatever medication you're taking, whatever cream you're using, whatever thing that you breathe in or whatever it might be has petroleum in it. And that is, it's a distillate, but without getting too technical. So what they did was they told the schools, the medical schools, we'll call it the whatever medical school, but you need to teach your students not to look at natural solutions like honey whiskey and lemon juice instead of cough syrup, right? Right. They want you to use pills. And Mm -hmm. so when you go to the doctor and you go, 
I got a problem. They put you on a medication. That medication has side effects. Oh, I got a side effect. Well, we'll give you this other pill. <laughs> yeah, and it goes on and on. <laughs> and you can, it goes on and on. Exactly. You see the path. So what they've done is they've taught all these kids in medical school. As they go through, they're all funded by very, very, very wealthy gazillionaires. And they say the deal is that you're going to promote medication. And that helps. That And what is it made with? Fossil fuels. Medical instruments, medical devices are fossil fuels. Now let's get to something even more basic. Diapers, fossil fuels. There's tons of it. Pens, pencils, paper, glass, clothing, plate. Everything you touch, from plastic to aluminum, every single thing uses fossil fuels. There's probably not even cotton is processed that way. And so you think, how are you going to get rid of that? You're going to go back to 1910 and light soy candles and dial phones? I don't want to go back. Maybe some people do. And if you want to get off the grid and do that, you are more than welcome to do that. But like me forcing you to stop using all those products is the same thing as me forcing you to buy an electric car. If they're so great, why are we incentivizing it? That's a good question, right? Well, right. yeah, because why everything we're doing is subsidized. Yeah. Good? yeah, yeah. Hmm. See, when you push something too hard, whatever it might be, you as a human being should question that. I don't care what it is. Try the broccoli. It's great. You have to keep trying it. I'm going to keep nagging you to try the broccoli. So you eat or you don't get dessert, right? Remember your mother used to say, eat oh, the Brussels yeah. sprouts. I oh, didn't yeah. eat a lot of dessert because I wouldn't eat the Brussels I love Brussels sprouts now, but I hate the way she made them. But, but the whole idea is that electric cars have a place. If you want one, you should be able to buy one. No one should stop you. And there are some cool ones out there. But all those cool-looking cars that look really cool, all oh, use fossil fuels on all those panels, all those cool headlight designs, all those cool materials that are on the inside that are recycled or vegan, which I think is a stupid thing to call material because it's leather or plastic leather. We've had that since the 70s. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I'll tell you the way it is. I have no, I have no reason to, to play around. I'm not getting paid by oil companies, car companies, or anyone. And some of the car companies are mad at me because I tell the truth. I'm not anti-EV. I think it absolutely has a place. If you, you need a small car, or like a, a Hyundai Ioniq 5, right? Mm -hmm. You can put your family in it, take your kids to school, come back, plug it in, do, maybe you work from home or you plug it in at work. That may work for you. But for me, it doesn't. And for most of this country, it doesn't because it doesn't have the infrastructure and all the promises of the government. We're going to put in 500,000 charging stations. Yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting because they're over a million bucks a piece and they're all level two. So they're super, super slow. So there's recently been an article, a lady out of Chicago, uh, she works for, I think it was the Sun-Times, a very uh, left-leaning publication, rented an EV, doesn't make a difference what brand, because they're all pretty much the same. They just have different exterior shells. Uh, believe me, everyone's starting to say they're becoming very vanilla. As far as, oh, my car does zero to 60, and so does mine, so does the next one. They're all the same. They just have diff different exterior and interior materials. Um, she took the vehicle, was trying to get from Chicago to New Orleans. She spent more time charging than she did sleeping. Mm -hmm. So when she got down to New Orleans, she finally said, screw that, got in a plane and flew home. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, there's, I have another guy who sent me an interesting article. He did a Tesla, two Teslas. He and his wife both purchased Teslas. I thought it was the greatest thing under the sun until they realized charging stations were an issue. Many of them didn't work. 
it cost too much to charge. And when they were done, they realized they spent more money on electricity than they did on gas. And that is the truth for all these vehicles, whether you're talking about a Hummer or a lightning truck. I'm not saying these cars aren't cool. The manufacturers have no choice. They have to make them. If they say, I'm not making these, people don't want these, we take a loss on every car. Stick it. Nope, that's a problem. Here's the problem. The federal government is taxing the heck out of them through the EPA in every country. So if they don't make electric vehicles, at least a certain percentage in order to make the minimum, there's billions of dollars in fines. So you have to weigh the good and the bad. Billions of dollars in fines, or I take a loss on every car. Well, I'm losing millions here, but I could have paid billions. I think I'll take the million-dollar loss. So how do you make that up? Yeah, they make cool vehicles like, you know, the Raptor R and the Bronco Raptor and the TRX and the Chevrolet ZR2 and Corvettes and Mustangs and, and whatever, but they're trying to get them to convert them all. And I will fair warn everyone, anyone that's ever worked on a car, these dual propulsion vehicles like a hybrid that's a gas and electric, mm -hmm. they work great. You get the best of both worlds. Check with your insurance company. Replacing them is very expensive. And repair parts make it really crazy because if one of the two propulsions dies, it's going to cost you a lot of money to make it run. So I know people that have Priuses and they go, the electric part has died. I'm just driving it as a gas-powered car and, you know, it's got like a 10-gallon tank. So it is something. Well, you, you know, you bring that up. The, the, uh, we just did a story, oh, you know, on, on the radio show sometime back about the, uh, the Mopars, you know, the electric uh, chargers mm -hmm. and, uh, and challengers. That car mm -hmm. can actually be converted over to internal combustion pretty easily. Uh, and I thought that was interesting that the program developer said, hey, we can take the, uh, we can take the flat floor out and put a tunnel in and put a, uh, the straight-six uh, twin-turbocharge in that thing, take the electric motor out, and you've got a gasoline-powered vehicle. And it's kind of like yep. they're, kind of like they're hedging their bets, that. yeah. There's a guy named Rick's Restoration. He's on YouTube who buys... Teslas and puts in gasoline powered mm -hmm. and yep. gas powered engines. Yep. He's also rebuilt these Ricks. I think it's called Ricks Rebuild, but he also rebuilds these because Tesla thinks of them as disposable. Like, oh, your phone doesn't work. It's outdated. Why would you have an iPhone 10? Throw that out. Yeah, right. Okay. You see, you start thinking about going, well, because it cost me like a thousand bucks, I'm going to use it till it dies. So, you know, they suppress the battery life and they make it difficult to use the new apps. And that's the same kind of thing Tesla wants to do to make the cars obsolete. It's an interesting, um, the electric car is probably not going away, but I think as people wake up to its actual cost, people are frustrated. I see it as limiting your freedom. You want to get in your truck, your car, your SUV, and drive across from Florida to Seattle? Do it. Get in the car and go, stop, seven minutes, fill up, grab your favorite snacks, which is where the gas stations make their money, and on your way to the next destination. And on my SUV, which is diesel, I can go 700 miles on a tank. So I can go from New York to Florida and have to stop at the Georgia line. So that works for me. I spend more time stopping to go to the bathroom right. um, or let the dog go. <laughs> but, um, but so, I mean, those are the kind of things that I think people don't realize. And then when they do, they get frustrated. And there's also a lot of problems with houses catching fire. If you've got mm -hmm. an older home, make sure you have a certified electrician put it in, not your friend who says, I can do that because uh, there was a house down the street from me that caught fire, uh, and he had an electric vehicle plugged in. I don't know who installed it. I did not ask who. So a very sore subject. Uh, but the one vehicle, they went out to dinner, and they came back, and the house was on fire. Someone called the fire department. They put it out. But now you've got 
one car toast and they returned the other one because they said this isn't going to work for us. So they're saying that two out of five buyers of EVs go back to gas. Wow. Pretty good. That's wow. a pretty good number. No, but, but so, how, you know, don't, don't believe what the government's selling you. How about that? Well, the government's... Every time the government says it's a great idea, they're wrong. How about this? Asbestos. It's a fabulous idea. Best insulation you can get. Oh, you're wrong. Damn. Yeah. Right. Okay. How about lead paint? Lead paint. Great idea, right? Paint will last forever. <laughs> it looks... Oh. oh good. And then there was that one where you could, like, eat as much food as you want. It was fat-free. It was causing all kinds of, like, people's intestines blowing out. Oops, big mistake. Yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? These are, these are absolutely ridiculous things. I mean, the, they can't run the post office or Amtrak, but they want to tell us how to live our lives, that we need electric vehicles, and they're going to mandate it. Good luck with that, because I'll tell you what's going to happen. When they take these states and tell them they got to go electric by 2035, what they've done is they've made the last sale of the bulk of their vehicles by 2034, Everything that people are buying now, I'm keeping. I, I'm not buying any new cars. I'm keeping what I have, and I've got cars back to the 60s. The heck with that. I'll be Mad Max. I am not going to play this game. And until people wake up and fight against this, they're not buying them. Because just so you know, only 6% of the country has purchased electric cars. 6%. California, 18%. Doesn't sound like a lot of people are buying them at this point. They're not running to the dealers. They're looking at them. They're making decisions. It works for you. You should buy one. But if it doesn't, move on. Do you think that electric vehicles could have ever got started as far as manufacturing goes? Now, you mentioned the fines and everything for the for the manufacturers, mm -hmm. but this has all been subsidized. And it's like people think the, the money falls out of the subsidizing tree. It, it belongs to all yeah. of us. You know, it's, it's all our money that's subsidizing this stuff. So I'm subsidizing, you know, an electric car to be built, but I'm driving a gasoline mm -hmm. car and can't afford the electric one because, uh, yeah, you know, right. because. So you're going to sell your, your car you can't afford. Yeah, right. A car and a payment you can't afford with double the insurance you can't afford and put in a charging station or find a charger and pay for that. Right. What are we doing here? This makes no sense. Where does electric vehicles make sense to you? It makes sense if you live near your office. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a place to charge there for free which not everybody does. Right. Uh, those are the kind of things I always tell people that you really need to start looking at um, what makes sense for you and your lifestyle. So it does not make sense for everybody. And it doesn't make sense for most, to be honest with you. No, you can't. You can't hang an extension cord out to your apartment window to charge your car. You know? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Sounded and like I a good idea. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I used to have an apartment in Manhattan prior to COVID. And I will tell you that um, it was interesting because they would say you should have an electric car. I'm like, I, if I drive a car to the city, I park it on the street. None of the parking garages have it. Right. So in order to get electricity, you have to go to a parking lot in Brooklyn, which is a long ride, from, like an hour from where I was, or go to New Jersey and sit there. I'm like, well, why does this make sense? There's gas stations in the city. I fill up and go. Or you can go up to Westchester. It's an hour north. It doesn't make sense. I know that the state of Georgia where you are has similar things are pushing, 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 but it doesn't make sense. So if it makes sense for you and you're like, listen, I'm getting, you know, the, the state credit, which is your tax dollars. I'm getting the federal credit, yeah, right. which is your tax mm, dollars. Yep. And you can make the payment work and blah, 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 blah. Okay, then, then do it. But it doesn't work that way for everyone. And I think that's 
the big factors that you have to look at. And that's why people that have large families, it doesn't make sense. You're going to get a lightning truck. You can't tow a great truck, by the way, but you can't tow for more than 80 miles, so you need to recharge. Mm-hmm. So you're right. going to tow a trailer 80 miles? Are you camping? Good luck with that. Yeah. Get a diesel truck. Okay, but as an engineer with your background, um, what, the, what I'm reading and seeing on the Internet is that they're trying to lead us to believe that the battery technology is going to improve and the infrastructure is going to improve. It just takes time sure, and experience. Okay, <laughs> right. So that's Whose I just wanted. Whose money will that take? It's not private dollars. You know, when they built out the cell phone service no. that we all love and live on, mm-hmm. that was put together by AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, all of them. Remember all the different brands? And everyone built towers. Oh, yeah. They made agreements amongst, amongst themselves. Hey, listen, AT&T will, will make a deal with Verizon, and you want this section, we want this. Let's not build twice the towers because of town ordinances. <clears throat> so that, that worked out. In this case, the federal government, your tax dollars, so when you get a refund, it's not them giving you money. They're giving your money back to you. Correct. That's the problem, and that's what people don't understand. So I tell people, you think about this, if the government's paying for this infrastructure of all of these charging stations, they're saying that you won't even have enough of them by 2050. So let's just say by 2035, every new car on the road has to be electric. Okay, now I drive over to Target, and there's six charging stations, but there's someone in each one. What are you supposed to do? Okay, I'll wait. I'm going to go inside and get some stuff, and I'm going to come back out and sit in my car. Still waiting. Oh, my God, these people haven't come out. <clears throat> Maybe they went home, whatever. So they come out. I was... your car. <laughs> and then you got to plug in and let it sit there for six hours? You're going to sit in the car for six hours? Don't sit in the car for six hours. I mean, this is dumb. This is just so stupid. Unless every single parking spot at every single hotel has a charger, it won't work. So I went to a a hotel with someone. There was one charger, and there was someone parked there because there wasn't any other parking spots who didn't have an electric vehicle. So that means no one's charging. And even if one person was, what are the other rest of the cars supposed to do? Let me throw let me throw a story back at you. <laughs> I stayed I stayed at a hotel in East Aurora, had one charger on the premises, and there was a car plugged into it. And well, that's good. Well, yeah, but the next day I come back and the same car is still plugged into it. And then I see somebody oh, drop stop the drop the driver off and they get in the car and they go on down the road. They weren't staying at the hotel. So all of us yeah. at the hotel were paying for that person to charge their card. I brought it to the hotel's attention, right. of course, it, yeah, whatever, oh, but, you know. They don't care. I mean, the people behind the car really don't care. And that's the problem, too, is the attitude in today's world. But that's a whole other conversation. Etiquette. And I'm sure you can have people, oh, it drives me crazy. Um, but you are correct. That is the problem. So you go to Target, like if I use Target as an example, and you go and buy your stuff, it costs more. Part of that is inflation. The other part of it is someone's got to pay for that million-dollar charging station. Each charging station at a level two is a million dollars. So how many do you think they're going to put in? Wow. The minimal required by the town. Right. Absolutely. That's one. We got one. We're going to take a loss until we make that up in profits, not in sales. So that's what you have to remember. If a gas station puts in a charging station and they, they're charging you to plug in and whatever, and you're there sitting in your car, 
how long do you think it takes for these little mom and pop gas stations that live off of you buying a candy bar and a soda pop? Oh, sure. Is it, it going to be for them to make a million dollars in profit? Years. So they're taking a loss. Now, they don't make a lot of money on gas and oil, even though the president keeps saying they do. It's almost a loss leader. They make maybe a penny a gallon. And it adjusts every Wednesday, usually midday, because that's when they make the decision for the weekend prices. Well, I've, been, I've been at the gas station, and he goes, better fill up because I'm changing the price 20 cents up yeah. on diesel yeah. before, as soon as you're done. I'm like, as soon as I'm done? He's like, yeah. Wow. And it also takes up real estate. You know, if everybody, if, if, yeah. if a mom and pop store is required to put in one, two, three chargers or whatever to, to make whoever happy, uh, you know, that's, that's parking places uh, that they don't have for customers that might exactly. stop in. Yeah. Okay, but they, they, they keep hyping the fact that the uh, holy grail of battery technology is going to be the solid-state battery, which is going to charge in just a few minutes and give you a thousand-mile range. What is your take on all of that? Well, solid-state always sounds great to me as well, but in the reality of it all, solid-state's biggest problem is we don't have anything. Right. So you won't see solid state batteries for at least 15 years. Sounds great, but there is no solid state batteries. And there's no way to recycle those batteries. Now, there is a company called Redwood Materials who's working at it, but they can't, they can't, restore, uh, they can't reuse most of it. And so that is a problem. And this is something that you really need to think about. If you think you're being green by buying an electric car, you're not. And most of the warranties on the batteries are eight years, okay, for the, for the most part, if you read eight across Eight to ten, it. depending upon yeah. what it is, yeah. So where are we in eight to ten years when we got all these batteries We're gonna that need replaced? We're going to have a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, we got a bunch of ticking time bombs is what we have because you can't put them in the ground, you can't recycle them, you can't send them to the moon, you can't put them in the ocean. Someone said put them in the bottom of the ocean. I go, that would be the dumbest thing oh. you could do because water, salt water, and electricity causes fires. There you go. You want the ocean to catch fire. Look, look what happened down in Naples, down in southwest Florida. Yep. All those electric cars, which typically are in more wealthier areas of the country because they can afford to have multiple vehicles, the average Joe's not going out and buying one because they can't afford it because they can't afford the car they have. So they're not going to go and make a bill. I mean, that's just so stupid. I mean, the federal government doesn't get it. They're like, yeah, everyone should go buy one. Okay, even if you... Give it to me for free. I still need insurance. I still got to pay for electricity. And if I could afford it, I would have done it. But you can't. Most people can't. So, I mean, it's just really just so ridiculous. I mean, I, I keep telling, well, we'll find out in a couple of days whether we have a new governor here in, in New York. But I, I told him, I said, you need someone on your traffic safety board to know something about cars rather than a bunch of people who are bureaucrats. I said, because honestly, what you see on every state across this country is, Terrible roads, terrible infrastructure, road diets, which means they're making it more frustrating for you. So a road that was two lanes in each direction is now one lane in each direction with a bike lane that no one uses and a center turn lane, which people use when they get pissed off at the car in front of them. Oh, man. So many things, so many things to consider. So many things to consider. Yeah. I mean, I just tell the truth. I want people to know that I'm not anti-EV. I just want people to understand cars have issues too. Manufacturers are trying to make money. When they make money, they hire more people. That's jobs. They produce more product, which is more to the economy. But when you take that away and you start finding them, you see exactly what's happening today. 
half their staff, half of their office staff, half of their production staff. It hurts the UAW. So if you're a union guy and you think it's a good thing, it's a horrible thing. So as your office, white color, blue color, doesn't make a difference. Everybody's getting hurt. The whole economy is being impacted in a very negative way. And the more they push for th- people to buy things that they really don't want but feel obligated to buy, this is how we end up where we are today. And that is a bad economy. We have supply chain issues, which are only going to get worse. We have a potential railroad strike, which we won't know until after the election. I mean, you just, you just keep adding all this stuff, and it's like, this is nuts. Yep. Who's coming up with these dumb ideas? Um, this common sense is what we need, and there's just none of it. What is next for Lauren Fix? Well, I'm working on... Are you going to run for president? That's the first thing we want to know. No, God, no. <laughs> I've, had, I've been offered to run for senator... And, and I've turned it down because the crazies come out of the woodwork. You know, everything from you push this little girl in kindergarten and go, I don't know who this is. Well, she says you did. And then you spend more time fighting <laughs> yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. You know, I don't have time. And then they come after your family and your family's businesses. I think I'm more powerful on the outside educating everyone. And I, that's why I never picked a channel. I was never like CNBC offered me a job. But the problem is then only those people that watch CNBC learn. So right. I want everyone to learn. Right. So yeah, maybe it's cost me financially, but that's not what it was about. I never did this for financial reasons. I did this to help people so that they're more empowered. And, you know, there's wins and there's losses that comes with everything. But, uh, and I'm sure you guys understand that too. But uh, I'm working on hydrogen gas, which I think is a fabulous idea. We have unlimited quantities of hydrogen. Comes right. out the tailpipe. Yep. Water. Water. Truly mm-hmm. green. Big fan of nuclear power smart way to go again it's a green version it's not subsidized wind and solar is they can barely hold 18 percent of the power that we need so going green is a pipe dream so anyone that says otherwise is you can say full poppycock but um as far as um also i'm interested in e-gas which is full synthetic gasoline i find it very interesting it's already being tested and put together uh in four different countries uh, synthetic gasoline would be what you could pour into your gas tank, no changes, cheaper, better for the environment. Think synthetic oil. Now, there's synthetic gas, and you could thank Porsche for that because they're the ones that came up with it. Right. What do you think of this, uh, uh, just off the subject here for a moment, what do you think of this uh, Pennzoil making oil out of natural gas? Uh, it, it's a, not a bad way to go, but you still got crude oil involved. You still got drilling involved. Sure, yeah. Natural gas comes out of drilling. Yeah, right. Um, if it works and it's better lubricant for engines, that, that would work. Because remember, all these hybrid engines run really hot. Mm-hmm. A lot of aluminum, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of high compression ratios, uh, and that would require heat. And you want to make sure that regular oil doesn't break down, which is why you use synthetic. Yeah. Especially if you've got a hybrid or, or something that's got really good, it's really great fuel economy. It's probably very lightweight, and it would require full synthetic oil, which I highly recommend anyhow. Sure. How can folks try to keep up with you? (laughs) 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 Online, on TV, uh, you know, on your website. Uh, Lay it all out for us so we can make sure that that people are are learning the, the truth about things. Well, the easiest way is to go to my YouTube channel, which is Car Coach Reports. Uh, and you can find all that stuff there. I even shared the two VinWiki uh, videos. Also, uh, you can find me any form of social media, literally everything from the normal Twitter, Facebook, Instagram to Truth Social, Parlor, Gab, MeWe, you name it. I'm on every, I have to get on everything because sure. I need to educate as much as I can. I'm, I'm at Lauren Fix, L-A-U-R-E-N-F-I-X. 
And if you want to sign up for my newsletter, you can go to Car Coach Reports. We have other contributors there. So we've written articles. We've got video. We have it in English. We have it in Spanish. And uh, probably some people you know because there's some pretty uh, – the two prolific, most prolific Spanish journalists both write for me, and they're, they're good friends. They're great guys. Huge car fanatics. Um, so if you know Al Vasquez and Javier Mota – uh, so Dwayne Pemberton, Paul Bryan writes for me, and my kids both write for me as well. So there's a lot of good content with different perspectives. But I always say if you're looking at buying a car or you're looking for something, check there and then always watch as many videos as you can before you make a decision on a new car. You don't believe them all. Make your own decisions. You're smart enough to know that. Lauren Fix, the car coach. It, it has been a such a pleasure. Uh, you know, to go long, long term with you here on a, you know, on a broadcast, uh, because uh, you've got so much information, so much passion for what you're doing, and you got the creds. You know, it's it's. Oh, thank it, you. It's uh, it's just good to include you in the, in the little, you know. Shelter or circle of friends that we have, not shelter. We all need to be in a shelter, I think. But in, in, in the circle of friends, the village of the friends, dome of silence. yeah, the the, dome the of village silence. people of friends, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it's Sounds just been like great to idea. have you here on the podcast. Uh, we welcome you back anytime. Of course, reach out to us anytime you want to uh, be on Bud's Garage the radio show because uh, we've always got short subjects we can talk about. Uh, but it's uh, it's been great to be able to do this. Uh, the first lady on the show, and the first lady of cars for sure. So thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Lauren. Thank you, bud. Take care, guys. Thank you for having me on. If you're a custom car builder or you're having a custom car built for you, there's a couple things that you want to look for in choices for that car. Everything that you put in the car, you want it to perform and function better than original and to last a lifetime. So I want you to consider, as far as pulley engine systems and upgrades, Concept One Systems, from basic pushrod engine Ford and Chevy systems to 10-rib overhead cam systems for LS and LT engines, uh, you need to reach out to these guys. They don't just read the catalog, they wrote the catalog. Brothers Randy and Kevin design, build, and fit their systems, so when you get them, you've got lots of choices. You can look at the alternator, you can look at the power steering pumps, you can look at the uh, air conditioning units and et cetera, et cetera, and everything that, that makes the, the world go round on the front of your engine. It will fit. It'll look great. It's available in different finishes. And if you have a question, you can actually call Randy or Kevin at Concept One. They are at the CNC machines all day long. They fit these systems. And when you unpack it, it will fit and it'll look terrific and do the job that it's designed to do. Concept One Pulley Systems. There's just nothing out there that's any better. Check them out. Perfect reaction times. Well, Tim, you know what the sound is. Yes. And you know what it refers to. Mm-hmm. Reaction time. Right. What's your reaction? What do you think of the... Uh, well, Lauren... Of her thoughts this, about yeah, what's going on. I agree with her on just about everything that she had to say. She is very opinionated, and she's very, very knowledgeable about what she is talking about. Well... Something that I thought was interesting, we didn't get into it too deep. Uh, as you and I were talking earlier in the podcast about batteries and stuff like that, the infrastructure problems, you mm. know, she brings that up, then the cost of the infrastructure. Right. And, and that, that's where the forward thinking is as far as she's concerned. Um, she's, she's thinking this through way ahead of some of the people that are coming up with these ideas. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 
even even when she talks about hydrogen stuff, mm-hmm. you know, what's coming out the tailpipe water. Why aren't we looking at that? Right. You know what? I'm I'm still wondering what's driving this. We did a thing on the uh, radio show about China mandating that their taxi drivers, you know, have electric taxis. Yeah. Uh, is that kind of thing going on here? Do you? Do you I, yeah. Think? You know, uh, when it, you're getting into politics, and I really don't know what motivates these people to move in the directions that they move. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, is at a Chevy dealership, and he was talking about the Ultium platform. Mm. And in the same breath, he was talking about the hybrid Corvette that's going to come out one of these days. It's already, you know, we've already seen pictures of it. It looks like a C8 Corvette. It doesn't look like a Z06 or anything. But it is a C8 Corvette with the present engine in it. Uh, mid-engine, mm-hmm. and then where the frunk is has a battery and electric motors there. I don't, I can't remember whether they're going to use pancake motors or a a drive motor that sits there and put the battery somewhere else. I I don't know. I haven't seen the the drawings on that. But here we have a hybrid, high performance car that's going to be offered at the SEMA show. Mopar came out with the their version of the Challenger and the Charger, and then in the same breath told us that you'll be able to put panels in the car, they will be able to put panels in the car, and put a, a drive shaft tunnel in there, and literally bolt the Jeep engine in, the, the one that you talked about, the, the straight inline one. six. Yeah, twin turbo inline six. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to, to literally put that in the, on the same mounts as the electric motor and battery platform are in that car. So... I'm wondering, is Mopar going to offer, when you walk in in the dealership, they're going to say on a Challenger or a Charger, well, would you like that gas or electric? Yeah, and that would make perfect sense to me. I don't see you buying an electric one and then saying, oh, would you please change it over? And they're not going to do that. They're, you know, you're, no. Because you couldn't afford it. It's, right. not a, it's not an easy changeover. It's a manufacturing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could see you taking your electric vehicle back, your electric Challenger, and saying, eh, this isn't my cup of tea, or it's not what I expected. That's what, what, uh, what Lauren is hinting at. All this stuff looks good on paper. Right. Okay? But we don't know what we're looking at until we got it parked in the garage. Exactly. You know, you've got vehicles that were exploding and catching on fire that were underwater in Florida when they had the hurricanes and stuff down there. We don't know the, the trials and tribulations of electric vehicles on a daily basis. Right. Until we... Until we live with them. Yeah. And she lives in western New York. You know what that does to a battery? Right. In the wintertime? Well, and it says a lot about what's going to happen to the chassis and the, the whole rest of the car in the process. Well, we've, we've talked about that. Uh, some of the brands are having problems with actually sealing the batteries. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much an impossible feat. Because you got to have you got to have venting, you've got to have cooling, and uh, you know a lot of this stuff just has been pushed upon us so fast. You're right, and I, I think she nails it. You know we're 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 going off of a cliff that we don't know where. It's. We have no idea, and in the meantime, it's the auto manufacturers who are footing the bill, which ultimately means us, the consumers. Oh yeah, we're we're funding. I mean, they're they're the the manufacturers are admittedly themselves saying we're losing money on the electric vehicles yeah well why in the world do you do it right well government mandate they're they may not be mandating but they're pressuring 
you know, with uh, fuel mileage requirements, et cetera. But how is a family of four people that are driving a 10-year-old minivan going to dump that thing and go buy an electric vehicle that'll get them to and from work every day and the charger for it if they don't own a home? Because here's something that, that Lauren brought up in the, in the interview. If you don't own a home or have a place for your charger or something, you can't, you can't throw an extension cord out your window. It mm. won't charge the car. Right. You can't have a 240-volt charger dangling out your apartment window. So it's going to have to be a, you know, a perfect situation for you to have one of these things. But now remember, our transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, stated after they had passed that huge transportation funding bill that that money was not necessarily to build roads. It was for a lot of it, public transportation where they can get people out of cars altogether and into mass transit. So, you, I mean, they're telling you right up front, this particular administration is saying they want us all to walk or ride bicycles a lot like the Chinese did up until recently, and maybe they still do. I've never or been. Or in there. Atlanta, get on a martyr train or a martyr bus. Right, exactly. Well, we're in the dingweeds here. Yeah. We're not in Atlanta where, you know, where right. we live. And you, you got to go 30, right. 40 miles to, to get to most places. Yeah. bicycle 10 miles to get a bus ride on a Greyhound. There you go. I'd have to, I'd have to leave home five minutes before I left work the night before to get back there on time. And if you were riding a bicycle, you'd have to have an oxygen generator behind you. You'd have to tow the <laughs> oxygen generator. <laughs> that, that, that makes it even worse. <laughs> well, folks, we, we don't know where any of this is going, but, you know, the, the, the purpose of doing this podcast to begin with is to go long-term with people and, and start a conversation, get something going where people are thinking a little bit more instead of just, you know, gathering around and singing Kumbaya. You know, Absolutely. And it's, uh, we got to, got to think of where all this is going. Mm-hmm. There are other, there are other alternatives. There are other technologies that if we if we let free enterprise do it, free enterprise, not fund, not government funded enterprise, do it. Somebody's going to come up with some of the answers. Might be Lauren. Yeah, it might be. Never know. Mm-hmm. Chances are, it won't be Bud and Tim. Restoring a classic muscle car. Look no further than YearOne.com. They are restoring American performance. Uh, year one has got a great website. You go to the website, you can get a $250 discount, and you can go and get subscribed to the email blast. Mm-hmm. You don't just, you know, you don't pay anything for it, but they will put you on the list every week. And all the great things that they're blasting out for the week is on special. You can see what it is, and it might right. be it might be seat brackets, it might be radiators, it might be wheels and and uh, wheel kits, mm-hmm. and uh, all, all the stuff that they offer in their catalogs. And if you mention Bud 20, that could get you a 20% discount on eligible items. Oh, wow. So everything they've got, you know, is for your classic muscle right. car. And uh, they have got it all. And, uh, you know, whether, whether you're getting ready for cruising, you know, which is pretty weather's coming up, mm-hmm. or you just want to freshen up your muscle car or maybe completely redo it, and they can help you. Check them out at year one. Dot com, your classic muscle car restoration experts. Okay. 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 You good with that? Yeah, I'm great with that. Then it's I... a rap. Have you got a rap you can play, Bill? <laughs> no, let's not play any rap music, but thank you. We'll, <laughs> we'll do the helicopter sound effect next week. 
Folks, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be with you next week right here at Bud's uh, Garage Overdrive, the podcast, or check us out at Bud's Garage on WDUN, Gainesville, Georgia. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.